What's going on, family? And welcome to another episode of the Military Cash Flow. What's going on with you today, Mike? Nothing much, man. Nothing much. Uh, I had a root canal recently. What? That was a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, but besides that, man, I'm doing good. No real complaints and nothing new. Just just grinding away. What about you, man? What's going on with you? Yeah, they, they always say that a lot, you know, about as much fun as a root canal, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was with a good dentist, though. I'll give him that, man. He numbed me up real good. I, so I got a, I got something else filled out in the in the the other dentist. A different guy numbed me up, but he numbed me up so much that my whole face went numb. My eyeball was numb. Oh my my eyeball was tingling. It was weird. It was just floating. I had a Forrest Whitaker cry. It was something insane, <laughs> man. So, <laughs> so this new one, this new one was good. I highly recommend him. <laughs> uh, yeah i got a, I actually um i got a new cavity myself man we're talking oh, this is not real estate at all but still, <laughs> uh, I, I got a new cavity myself man i was actually kind of upset man i've been using a little water pick and all this stuff yeah so I'm, I'm like yeah man my teeth are gonna be good they're gonna see they're gonna see my teeth they're gonna be like yeah man you've been yeah. doing a great job yeah. like ah, well you know see in between here you know you got yeah. a cavity. I'm like how the hell do i get another cavity i've been flossing <laughs> me off. it's like the more i floss and take care of my shit the worse my teeth get i'm like come on man I floss more than the average American. I know that. Yeah, but um, I, <laughs> but yeah. So I'm hanging out with family. I'm hanging out with family right now, dude. We're just uh, we're having a good time. Um, yeah, we're just having a good time. Uh, going to be heading over to this uh this flip hacking live uh event uh yeah. next week. I'm actually pretty excited about that. I haven't been to a, an event like a live event in such a long time because of COVID and everything. So mm-hmm. pretty excited about going to that. Um. It's, it's right down the way. So it's, it's driving distance. So I'm pretty, pretty happy. Um, it's going to be hosted by uh, Bill Allen, who hopefully we'll have on the podcast here soon. And then um, uh, Adam Whitney speaking, who's been on the podcast and then Bill, all right, not Bill, um, David Prey, who's been on the podcast as well. So got some, some, some heavy hitters going to be on the stage. So I'm pretty excited about seeing that. Yeah. It's um, going to be awesome, man. Bob Sleeves will be out there too. Yeah. Sure yeah to connect yeah. with him, man. So yep. There's going to be a lot of people out there. Yeah, we got a bunch of people from the from the group that's going to be out there. I posted a um, I posted a like a, a comment asking that like, hey, who all is going to be at the at the uh, Flip Hacking Live event? And there's like I don't know, thirty or forty people. It seems like from the group is going to be there. So I'm pretty excited about uh, linking up with people there. So it's good stuff. <clears throat> it's yeah. great stuff. Small community, man. Small community. Real estate investing. You yeah. guys got to get out there and network. And <laughs> speaking of, speaking of that, today's guest, Bill Nye. Is uh, he's a it's Blair, it's Blair Knight. Blair Knight. Wow, but it's a, <laughs> but and that's why I messed up his name already, dude. Like, so, it's been so, getting us, man. Before the uh, before the show, for you guys to know, his name is Blair Nye, but we've been saying, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, you know, but his name is Blair Nye. So, today's guest, Blair Nye. I'm sorry about that. If you if you're listening to this, Blair, man, I'm sorry about that, man. <laughs> I, I butchered it already, but uh, Blair Nye, man, hey, he's up there in Tacoma, Washington, he is killing it, dude. He's uh, He's living in a, in a house hack, and we talk a lot about um, his process of going through getting that first house hack. Some of the mm-hmm. some of the uh, wins and losses he's had while while navigating that, you know, and then also doing his out of state deal as well, and what he went through, some of the lessons learned uh, from that deal as well. So, just uh, this is a great episode, Mike. Yeah. I love this as a as an episode to to think of this as an approach that's very stable, cool, calm, and collective. And the reason I say that is because he's gonna talk about his background and how comfortable he was with money. But as soon as he had the wake up call, he still took a couple of years before he made his first move. 
And then he made very intelligent moves based on some strategic thought patterns, right? How to build his team, the market he was going to do, how he was going to rent it out, the tenants. And it drops a lot of um, subtle uh, talking points that we hit on a lot, but I mean, there's a lot of value in this episode. And I know we're not going to do it justice in the intro. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the Military Cashflow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on? Today, we got a special guest, Blair Nye. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. So as you said, my name is Blair and I, I'm 33 years old, and I'm an active duty uh, special operations soldier in the United States Army. I'm a staff sergeant stationed at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. Uh, I'm happily married to my beautiful wife, Alex. Her and I are house hacking a duplex in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, we also own a standalone single family rental in Fayetteville, North Carolina, both of which we bought sight unseen uh, while, you know, each respective town. Uh, yeah, if I'm uh, if I'm not busy, gone like training or you know deployed, then I'm probably nerding out on finance, real estate stuff, or you know enjoying the outdoors, rock climbing, or just you know exploring the world with my wife. Nice, nice. Yeah, we definitely got to get into the sight unseen thing because I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of service members that go through that one, and then they would love some tips or tricks that you've had uh, maybe navigating through that process. But before we start that, um, can you can you kind of tell us? where your, I guess, financial journey or your real estate journey kind of began? Yeah, happily. Um, so I, I had great parents, right? They, they talked to me about saving and stuff when I was young. So uh, they helped me open up a savings account when I was like a young teenager. So I've been sort of financially minded for a long time. I've been tracking my money since I was 25 years old, the, the year I joined the military. Uh, but I was just tracking it. I really wasn't. I was just making sure I didn't lose money every month, you know? Um, uh, fast forward, I was 28 years old. One day woke up as an E4 in the barracks in the army and thought, shit, I, haven't, I don't have any money for someone my age, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I tracked my, actually tracked my net worth for the first time and at $31,000 net worth, which some people say it's a lot. Some people say it's a little, I, I think it's for how much money had passed through my life, my hands up, up to that point in my life, I, it wasn't very much. So, uh, I really started digging in, uh, you know, blogs, podcasts, financial independence stuff. And through all those, uh, you know, I got into index fund investing and that's all cool, but I felt like I was missing something and I kept uh, hearing a common theme, right? So all the, all the wealthiest people that I heard on these podcasts and all the people that had the most free time and could have the most influence all had for the most part, real estate in common. So I started looking at that, you know, went into the rabbit hole and after a couple of years and it's probably 2018 when I really started digging into that. It took me until 2020 to buy my first property, but I say that's when my uh, my journey really started. Okay, I love. Hey, that. yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say because uh, the tracking the money at 25. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is you said that your parents did a decent job of teaching you about finances. You weren't oblivious to the world of finance, but it still took some sort of pivotal moment in your life for you to say, okay, maybe I should start taking this a little bit more seriously. Do you remember exactly what that event was where you said, okay, 
Now let me take a deeper look into my finances. Yeah, I, I wish I could say specifically what the event was, but around that time, I discovered a blog called Mr. Money Mustache. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, you guys probably know what it is. Uh, real frugal oriented uh, finance blog. And I think it's awesome. But uh, I think I'd started reading a little bit of that. And that's what kind of made me start thinking about it. And that dude was like, I don't know, 29, 30, something like that when he retired. I was approaching 29 and realized I couldn't retire in 20 years if I wanted to, at least in my current job. So, yeah, I think that's what did it. I just woke up one morning and it didn't feel right. It didn't sit right with me. So. Yeah, but you were doing some things right though. I mean, for you to have any kind of net worth at all, right? As a as a an E4, you're saying you're staying in the barracks, right? That's yeah. that's honestly an accomplishment. You weren't you didn't go out and get the get the uh I don't know what's the thing, uh, the Dodge Charger, you know, you know, so you were doing some things right. I mean, you had you, you, you were, uh, like you said, um, money conscious, right? And you released tracking your funds. So having a net worth, I mean, that's that's an accomplishment in itself, especially at that uh, that um, stage of your life, right? Um, fast forward a little bit further down the road, right? And you, you said you started digging to, to real estate for a couple of years. And then you got in your first, um, you got in your first house hack or was that your first standalone rental? <clears throat> so it was first a house hack and then a standalone rental, uh, probably about, about a year later. So. Okay. So let, let's, let's talk uh, through yeah. some of that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I was nearing the end of a long course at Fort Bragg. Um, this is you know, 2019. Um, I know I'm slated to PCS to joint base Lewis McCord and, uh, you know, February, March timeframe of 20. And so I started digging in, you know, I'd heard of house hacking. I, I read Craig Kirlop's book on it and uh, I was just obsessed with the idea of it. That was going to be my ticket, my entry into real estate, you know, and uh, I was going to pocket that BAH boy. I was excited about that. Um, that's a raise right there. So uh, I started, I contacted a, uh, a realtor off a of bigger pockets forums in uh, the Tacoma area. And uh, I'd done a lot of, I'd read uh, some books on long distance real estate investing. So I knew like, okay, you need to have, you know, some, some boots on the grounds, connections, property manager, um, some, some people you trust, some people that can tell you about the area. So I'd reached out to a few people like that, um, started talking to them, getting a feel for uh, Tacoma, Washington. And then, yeah, found uh, my realtor brought me this off-market duplex um, that I ended up closing on in February of 2020 for $325,000. In Tacoma, I mean, I hear Tacoma's like off the charts right now. Now you're saying that was just a year ago? That was 18 months ago. About I mean, even February still, 2020. Yeah, even yeah. still, I mean, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, real estate, the real estate market started to hike in, oh, I guess it's been about a year or so, but uh, but I, even still, 325, man, that's got to be a decent price for Tacoma, right? It was, and, it, and I found out later, you know, this. I learned a lot of lessons. This has been an awesome experience. I've, my net worth has jumped because of it. But uh, it was off market for a reason. And I found that out later, you know, and uh, I found out multiple people have been scared off this house. And that's a, <clears throat> it's got, it had all sorts of issues I didn't know about before I closed it, such as foundation issues. So Yo, getting, tell us the details, man. Dude, tell us the okay. details. This, this is how we learn. This oh, is yeah. how our audience learns and builds. Cause there's somebody I'm telling you that's going through the same exact thing. And they're like, damn, dude, like this thing has been on the market for a long time. You know, maybe there's something wrong with it. Like, Tell us the details, man. How'd you navigate that? Okay, so it looked it looked all right, right? I knew it needed some work, maybe some new paint, things like that, new flooring. Um, uh, I got a home inspection done. Everything was pretty standard for the area. It's a 116-year-old uh, property. Um, so lots of basic uh, repairs needed. Um, during that home inspection, 
uh, you know, this is where I failed to do my real due diligence. During the home inspection, the home inspector said, I couldn't get fully under the crawl space because there was stuff blocking it. There's a bunch of debris. And he said, but what I saw looked good. And I accepted that. Um, we even, we had, we had a company, we paid a company to clean out the crawl space, um, which is good, but I failed to have someone get back under there and take a full look. So, you know, we move in, um, the house had had a little settling and I hired a foundation company to come out, give it a look and then give me a quote on making whatever repairs we ought to make to at least stop the house from settling more. I got quotes from 50 to $120,000. Scared the hell out of me. You know, E E6, fresh E6. That, I, I can't pay that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that, that, that caused a few sleepless nights. Um, so that was, you know, issue number one to, to figure out. Uh, eventually, I, you know, I, I called around a bunch of different foundation specialists, all that. And then after navigating through like five or six different companies, came across a guy who wasn't trying to swindle me, wasn't trying to sell me some fancy uh, steel piers for my foundation. And he, he fixed it for about 9,000, just under 9,000, actually. So that was a big thing. Um, other repairs and stuff that, uh, you know, we've missed out on. Oh, that's probably the biggest repair issue. Another big lesson learned, um, you know, we bought sight unseen. It had tenants in the first floor already. I was scared to deal with a vacancy right off the bat. I was thinking, you know what? Those tenants have been there a while. They've been paying. We're just going to keep them, keep them, for, keep them for another year. Unless you know tenants, unless you know those tenants, unless you, I, I wouldn't, I would not recommend just inheriting tenants because they have a good payment record. Sorry, my camera's moving so, but. No, you're good, you're good. Um, yeah, that was another big thing. Um, they paid on time each and every month. Man, we we moved in with some people we would never, ever choose to live next to. And uh, that, that, you know, I could deal with it all right, but my wife, she was pretty unhappy. And man, you've heard that saying, unhappy wife, unhappy life, right? So yeah, that was, that was a rough year. Um, uh, so basically, if you're going to buy sight on scene, highly recommend making sure you do thorough due diligence. Um, if there's any issues, any doubts, get a professional in there. I could have had, I could have paid a foundation inspector 80 bucks for his time to go walk this property. And I would have, you know, could have made a, could have gone in eyes wide open from there on. So I'm really glad that you brought this up because this is one of the biggest mistakes that not only new investors make, but even seasoned investors who get cocky, I'm one of them, where I was just like, yeah, I'll take that inspection for what it's worth, right? Yeah, I'll take it. And then all of a sudden you find out that it's 120,000 or whatever the case is on the back end. And unfortunately, now that you own the property, you own the problem. So it's up to you to find the solution. And luckily you found it for 9,000. But you know, let that be a warning. Let that be a message to everybody out there. Typically, and I don't know every state, but I know in the state of North Carolina, the seller must give you all reasonable access to do all inspections that you want prior to closing to include clearing out the crawl space and then getting a second pair of eyes on it. Right. So let that be a warning to everybody listening. Do your due diligence. Don't don't do the same thing that Blair did. Uh, now, <laughs> now, I really want to dig into this uh, to this tenant piece, man, because I've heard this come up several times as well. People will say, hey, I'm scared to take the vacancy because I want the cash flow immediately. So no real, no real prompt here, but walk us a little bit through your thought process for why you wanted to keep that tenant or why you were scared to change it. 
And what were the lessons that you learned after the fact? So it's exactly as you said, Mike. Um, I was just scared to take that vacancy up front. I was making a decision out of fear instead of one to straight up out of logic. And you know, if you look back on your life, most decisions made out of fear don't end up being good decisions. Um, so yeah, I was thinking, okay, you know what? I, I'll deal with the certainty of having that income and I don't want to deal with that vacancy and having to turn the unit. Um, but I, I didn't screen those tenants. I didn't have a trusted professional manager that I now work with screen those tenants, you know? Um, so I really didn't know what types of neighbors I was gonna get in my house hack. And that's huge, right? Um, Cause you're living next to these people for at least a year at a time, usually. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, what else would you want from me right there, Mike? Yeah, so what, well, I guess what was the lessons learned? So understanding that you didn't get a chance to screen them and, yep. and ideally you would wanna screen them. But I guess what were some of the lessons that you learned as far as picking tenants or, or mm. you know, making decisions based on tenants? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what their credit scores or anything were, like that were like, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely learned that, uh, okay, th this was a family with, uh, you know, more kids and more people living in the household than were on the lease. Um, I know kids don't have to be on the lease normally, but even adults. Um, these tenants, you know, I don't think they had a great credit, yeah, credit score. Um, they had this big dog that was super destructive on the property. And man, my wife and I, they, they would bump music all hours of night. So I, you can't always screen for that kind of stuff. But well, nigh. What's up? It was Club Nye. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was rough, man. My wife would set like a glass of water on our dresser and just watch it, you know, ripple like T-Rex oh, was walking man. nearby or something. But uh <laughs> Uh, anyways, I digress. Yeah. So lessons learned really is just, uh, yeah, just don't, don't, don't be scared of having the vacancy. And when it comes to screening tenants, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to look for that good credit score, good rental history, and really try to get some good references from previous ten, previous landlords. That's about really all I can say on that front. Yeah. Well, one thing I did, um, I don't know, this might help somebody. I'm curious to know what you do in those situations as well too, Mike. So um, I've had a couple of inherited tenants on um, one of the four, on a four unit that I bought. And um, what I did, I had my property manager that I worked with go back and make them re-sign a lease and it had all our terms on it, right? Um, and that was kind of our way of rescreening them. We didn't, I, I don't think we did a credit check or anything like that, or a re-credit check on them, because obviously we looked at their payment. Um, if they were making, if they were making payments on time, looking at the rent roll from the previous owner. Um, but that was our way of mitigating. But it is a lot different when you are, uh, when you have an investment property that you're not living in versus one that you're house hacking, because, you know, for that four unit, for example, I never lived in that four unit. So I never had to worry about, you know, club wind going on at two o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> with the thumping or anything. But, um, you know, if I was living there, then I have to take into consideration my wife and my kids and what, yeah. and that entire environment, like you're saying with, with the, uh, with the dogs and the destructive dogs and all the other stuff. But, um, I don't know, that's just something to think about, um, as far as, a one way that you possibly could mitigate moving forward. Anybody out there listening that's going through the same thing, Mike, you, you, you got any suggestions for that? Yeah, I, I've house hacked uh, several times. And one of the hardest things to do is kind of separate, separate yourself from the tenant when they know you're the landlord, because yeah. then they, they try to use that, that commonality. Let's be friends. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll keep it down. You know, and they'll try to get on your good side and play to your humanity, to your personality there. 
What I like to do is just put a third-party property manager right in place, and that kind of alleviates that. Now, to your point, to the inherited tenant, typically, and again, in the state of North Carolina, we have to uh, we have to live up to whatever the current lease is. So if the lease says, hey, we have eight more months, that is what it is. But at the end of that eight months, that third-party property manager is coming in. More than likely, we're going to hike the, um, if we want to get the tenant out of there, we're going to hike that payment, right? Mm-hmm. And then like Dan said, we're going to have different terms in there because more nine times out of 10, they're not going to want to see that payment increase and, and they'll go somewhere else. Uh, I got a question for you though, Blair. When uh, One of the biggest issues that I run across especially with off-market deals, when you're looking at tenant occupied, is finding security deposits, pet deposits, things like that. Did you get anything like that when you actually bought this house? Actually, we did, yeah. And that was something I, I harped on with my agent. I was like, hey, make sure you get this kind of info. You know, And that's I only knew to ask for that because I read books on it and researched prior to. But yeah, okay. I definitely asked, You know, let me see the leases. Let me see the security deposits. Um, also, to go back to what you guys said, I apologize. I wasn't quite prepared to answer that last question. Well, we actually, from day one, we, we had third, you know, third party property management handling them for us. Um, however, our, our agent that, you know, sold us property, I guess, spilled the beans that the owner was moving in upstairs. So yeah, I did, so they, they always do yeah. that, man. Yeah, it's like, why did you, why did and, uh, you ruin it for me? <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was tough to navigate, man, because they were going to be our neighbors for the next year. And so we had to like, you know, I was going downstairs telling them to turn it down and, do all that and at one point we actually did talk to our property manager and say hey what can we do and they 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 you know sent the good neighbor policy documents over to the tenants they made them sign it on all that and uh you know so we had that in black and white like hey look you're obviously in violation of all this but you know you're trying to navigate it you know as peacefully as you can it's kind of awkward at times especially if they know you're the landlord but so the big question are they still there though no so (laughs) we uh you know it, it, it never got bad, too bad, but it was definitely awkward at times. And I was letting them know like, hey man, this, this can't go on. Um, either way, we're gonna fix this unit up. We're gonna raise the rent to you know, X, Y, Z and they weren't gonna be able to afford that anyway. So yep. like you said, Mike, you raise the rent, you, uh, you get out of the trouble tenant. Uh, now we have a phenomenal tenant downstairs, super quiet, um, you know, pays rent on time every month and she's just, yeah, awesome, so. Let, let me ask you about um, tenant turnover there. So mm-hmm. you, you finally got them out the door. You did collect a security deposit, but you mentioned several people are living in there, big dog. Uh, how much, let me ask you this, expectation versus reality, damage control and costs for the tenant turnover. What was your experience? Okay, so, <clears throat> you know, reading, reading books and going all that, like expectations, like, oh, it'll be fine, security deposit will cover it. You know, not the case. Holes in the doors, all that. Trying to claim yep. it's normal wear and tear. You know, it's a. Uh, I think we paid probably four thousand over their security deposit mm. and turning the unit. You know, on top of just upgrades we made on our own, out of our own pockets. So, uh, it was an expensive turn. We put some money into this house. You know, we bought it the VA loan, zero down. Uh, but over the course of the past eighteen months, we put. Uh, just under 62,000 into this house total. Um, okay. You know, so all our cash flow, you know, from the property savings and stuff like that. So we haven't dwindled our bank account. I mean, I don't want that to scare off anyone else. Um, that was me being smart with my money, my wife and I being smart with our money, putting, making repairs necessary. And we may have put 62 grand in, but our net worth has still skyrocketed over the past 18 months, thanks to this house hack. So, yeah, excellent. And let's 
Go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Look at no, no, no. I, I just, no, no, no. I just really wanted to highlight the, what you just said right there. Is you did put money into the property, but your net worth has scaled. And unfortunately, the reason why so many people don't elevate themselves financially in life is due for fear or just the lack of knowledge when it comes to the understanding that real estate is a business. You do have to put money into it. It's an investment. But understand that the return from that investment is going to be far greater than what you put in. And a lot of people block themselves out right out the gate when they think, oh, but I have to put in $62,000, give or take, in a piece of property. But understand, you know, you're going to hold this piece of property for 30 years, 40 years, more, maybe less, 1031, so forth and so on. So I just really wanted to highlight that. And hopefully, if somebody's listening who's afraid to make that jump, to, to understand the benefits of it. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. Yeah, that's the big piece. And I really want to, to harp on just the impact of one, what the impact of one property and what it can do to a person's life, right? And what it can do to their financial situation. I mean, let, let's kind of just break, just kind of go over that just a little bit. All right. So um, Blair's got a house hack. He's got a duplex. Um, is that is that one side that you're renting out right now covering, pretty much covering the mortgage or at least reducing it by by a pretty large chunk? It's absolutely reducing it. So we're living in a 600 square foot unit. The downstairs one is a little over a thousand. Um, our mortgage is 1,821 bucks and the downstairs rent 1,595. Nice. So we are living in a unit um, that would normally rent for approximately 1300 bucks. We're living here for 369, 370 a month. And so I'm pocketing, you know, most of my BAH. Nice. Exactly. So that's the big thing. I mean, we, we all know, listen to this, if you're listening to this and you, you have a rental or, or you're renting a property or however you're doing, if you're not house hacking, you know, that whatever you're paying to live where you're living is a large portion of your monthly budget, right? Typically the average American, it's about a third of their, of their budget, right? So, I mean, if you can think about that for a second and kind of conceptualize that and how much, how much of a difference that will make in your financial situation, if you could keep 30% of your money, right? And then on top of that, there's other forms, that, there's other ways that you're building your net worth and building your cash flow. There's debt pay down, there's appreciation, there's some forced appreciation because you made some, you've made some uh, adjustments to it as well. There's the tax benefits. There's just so many benefits of, of real estate. 
And just that one move, you've set yourself up for success in the future, even if you don't buy another property ever, right? And you get out and you retire after 20 years, right? You know, the the appreciation of this asset in the next 15, 16 years is, is, is going to be phenomenal, right? It's, it's going to be ridiculous. Um, and you can easily cash out and then that's going to, that'll likely fund most of your retirement, right? So just, I just want you to really think about what that can, uh, if you're listening to this, what, what that can really do for you, just one deal, one house hack. Uh, it's, it's a very, very significant event, I think. So. 100%. Yeah. It's made a huge difference in our lives. So, you know, we're keeping most of our BAH and, you know, it's setting us up. We've actually refinanced out of our VA loan just recently. So we're going to do this again. You know, we're stoked. I'm not, I'm not, letting, I'm not stopping here, man. <laughs> so that, no, I love that. All right. So that's a great transition. So let's talk to us about how you refinanced out of the VA loan and what your next step is essentially. What do you, what are you looking to do? And why, why you did that? Gotcha. Um, so, uh, you know, once we saw, you know, how much it could impact our net worth, how much it could free up uh, cash flow from just paying to live somewhere. Uh, you know, we, we figured we have to do this again. So the only way to do this again with l- little or no money down is with VA or FHA loan, right? So initially we were like, okay, uh, we'll use an FHA loan. We'll put three and a half, five percent down. No big deal. We'll find a fourplex somewhere here. And um, we actually got a fourplex on a contract and we're we're pretty stoked, but uh, <clears throat> the FHA has an interesting rule or test called the uh, FHA self-sufficiency test. Have either of you guys heard of that? No, I have not. Okay, well, um, the FHA self-sufficiency test basically states that a multifamily property, you know, two to four units, has to be able to pay for the mortgage at 75% um, occupancy. It's something along those lines, so don't quote me exactly, but either way, the they only go based on the rents at the appraiser says the property can get. So after a month of having this property under contract, our financing fell through because the appraiser came through with rents that were significantly under what our property manager knew we could rent this property for. Um, So that was pretty frustrating. You know, we knew we could rent each unit for 1600 bucks, 1500 bucks. The appraiser said they were each worth 1100 bucks per month. So FHA said, no, man, this isn't going to work. And they took the financing from us. So out of frustration, we went back to the drawing board and we realized, oh, we have just about enough equity in our home to refi to a conventional loan and reinstate our VA entitlement. Let's do that. You know, so that's, that's why we uh, refied out of the VA loan. So we could use that again, not deal with that annoying FHA self-sufficiency test and continue the house hack role, if that makes sense creativity man figuring it out dude i love it it's awesome awesome yeah, yeah. you got to stay creative out there and i love how uh, you know many people hear like oh they'll hear no and then they'll say uh-oh i can't do it and instead you heard no and you was like man how i know i can let me just figure out how so to, to really touch on that refinance piece um i think that is extremely intelligent that a lot of veterans are missing out on use that VA loan to acquire the property. The way the market has shifted over the past two years is insane. Many people have actually gotten some appreciation in there, plus their forced appreciation or whatever the case may be. Now's the time where they can refinance. May They may have to bring a little bit more to closing, but regardless, they refinance it and free up their VA entitlement again to go out and buy a brand new one at 0% down. So I think that's extremely intelligent. For those who didn't get that, rewind it. Rewind it and listen to it again, man. Great job. Great strategy there. 
All right. So what's what's next for you? I mean, so obviously you're working on this one, which is going to be a great one. But uh, you plan on doing military for 20 years? Uh, do you plan on acquiring one one a year? Like, what's your overall plan? Yeah, I want to say absolutely not, you know, <laughs> to the military thing. Uh, in fact, Mike, you've been a big inspiration to me in that regard. Um, I hope that's but, uh, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the military is mad. I'm getting everybody out. No, no, man, like, hey, I'm sorry. Some sergeant major hears this. You know, I'm, I'm getting out at the end of this contract. But uh, that's, it's mostly, Mike, you've been an inspiration to me and that I've seen someone else from, you know, my community in the military get out and be successful in real estate. But I made the decision to get out after, realizing, you know, I'm a married man now. I'll be having kids in a couple of years. Most guys in special operations are home, are gone from home most of the time. I want to be around to see my kids grow up, man. I want to see those little stages and, and growth between zero and six months old and all that. Um, so I decided I'm going to get out. Uh, I have a contract until 2026. So I got a while still. Uh, sometimes I get down on myself, like, man, I got so long. But at the same time, I've got that steady W-2 income that lenders love. So um, I'll be getting out and uh, I'm really kind of shifting my focus towards acquiring my first large commercial multifamily property, you know, uh, acquired a, a standalone single family rental um, in Fayetteville. But after I, and I, was, I was stoked to get it, but after I closed on it, I looked back and was like, man, that was a lot of paperwork and a lot of time for one door. And, mm. you know, the cash flow is good, but it ain't, I'd have to do that, do that a lot. And I don't have that kind of time. So. Yeah. What's next is multifamily investing, getting as good as I can at that and being a good underwriter while still being a good soldier during the rest of my time in the military. That's the key, man. That's the, that's the hardest, the hardest piece. I want to talk about that in a second, but first I want to talk about the out-of-state deal. You're able to do one out-of-state. Let, let's run through that because again, there's a lot of uh, service members out there that are trying to buy. They might be living in California and they don't want to, you know, they can't afford those prices, right? So they want to buy somewhere out-of-state a little bit more um, a little bit more economically friendly, I guess, you know, um, something they can afford and still cash flow well, right? Um, can you talk us through that? Like, uh, what did you have to have in place in order to do that out of state? And what are the, some of the things that you went through that, that could possibly help someone else? So <clears throat> had to have, you know, a good trusted agent or team of agents, which I already had luckily, because I, you know, had been in Fayetteville, North Carolina for a while. I knew the five pillars. I knew I could reach out to them and find someone trustworthy. Uh, so had that in place, need a good property manager. Already knew one there because I talked to a couple before I left there. Um, but so really you need a good lender, a good property manager, good agent, um, and then a good handyman if you're going to be doing some work. And those seem like the hardest ones to find. But I'd say if you're nervous about doing something out of state, um, look at where you have some sort of advantage, right? Look at a place that you've been or you know. And if, if that place makes sense, economically or for investments, go for it there. If, if you can't find a place where you have some sort of advantage that makes sense, maybe take a trip there. Find a place that does make sense that you do like. Take a trip there, get to know the place, rub elbows with a few of those kind of core people I talked about. And then, you know, you can fly home and you can communicate with them. And it's honestly buying out of state once you have the right people in place is the same as buying in your city. Because that, that fourplex that we had under contract I put it under, it's, it's 20 minutes south of me. I put it under contract, sight unseen also. <laughs> Just, and I could have driven down to it anytime I wanted, but yeah, um, that's what you really need to go buy out of state. 
Yeah, I find sometimes it's even easier to to do things out of state versus or at least out of your area, right? Than it yeah. is when you're right there because a lot of times if you're right next to it, you find yourself, I don't know about you, but like you find yourself driving to it all the time and going around there and trying to see trying literally just doing whatever you can to involve yourself in the process even though you don't really necessarily need to be that that deep into the process right so sometimes totally. you know when you have that little bit of space and you have the team set up it kind of forces you to use your team um and and, and you know use others around you to, to get what you need done you have to systematize right i mean treat yeah. it like a business and that's that's the key right there i i i, I hear you dan i hear you like I know when uh, when we do our next house hack, it's going to be hard for me not to drive, you know, down the road back to this one. Be like, they treating it good, they treating it right, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like not I having that problem. I just listen to my property manager. You know, I, I communicate well with them in Fayetteville, and that that property's been working out beautifully. Yeah, you, it, there's always a fine line between you know your first couple of deals. Um, just like just like you both mentioned, people tend to want to be hands on and very involved. And that's perfectly fine, especially as you're learning the ropes. But to your point there, Blair, if you ever intend to scale, if you ever intend to truly buy back your freedom, buy back your time, then you have to systematize to where you're not doing that and somebody else is, and you're just monitoring and managing those individuals. I love it. Yeah, yeah man. So I'm glad you found the, the the awesome five pillars team up there. You know, so if you listen to this and you're in Fayetteville, you know who to call, dude. And in Charlotte, you know who to call. <laughs> Shameless plugs. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, man, let's talk about some of the time. I mean, I love that you are, you know, that you've already decided that you, you know, you're not gonna stay in, but the reasons why, right? You're saying, hey, I want to be a dad, I really want to be involved, I really want to have that time with my family and things, right? But right now, you know, you're gearing up towards that and you're still building a small empire while you're still in and still being a good soldier. How are you managing that time? So that's been the biggest challenge, right? Especially, you know, I, I was in the, I was actually in the Navy for three years, then in the Army for almost five. And so I've been in the regular military, too. And I have I had way more time in the regular military. So being in special operations, like that's been a real big challenge. Um, what's worked for me has been uh, time blocking. You know, I read, uh, I think it's The Miracle Morning Millionaires by Hal Elrod. And that was an awesome book. I actually read that while I was out of state training. Um, but uh, what I took, what I really took in that book was, you know, seize the day when you can before anyone really messes with you. That's early in the morning. And uh, time block. I kind of took inventory of what I do every day, realized, oh, I really do have some more time than I thought I did. And then I kind of built out like a schedule for how I want each, each and every day to look based off my obligations and what I had to do. And so, you know, for me, I get up in the morning, um, as soon as I'm done with breakfast, that's my time. That's my real estate finance time. That's my time to make moves there during the week. And then Saturday, that's, you know, that's my day I'm off. That's my work day at, outside of work. You know what I mean? That's the work day on the business. And then Sunday, you know, that's kind of, you know, family, whatever right there, but just time blocking. That's the biggest thing. How's your I wife been that. involved in it? Cause that's, that's another aspect of it. Cause uh, you know, we, we talk about family, right? How, yeah. how much and in, how involved is your wife into it? And um, I don't know what, what are, what is her thoughts in it? Like, did you have to kind of, kind of push her into this? Like, what was that like for you? Um, yeah, I'm really glad you asked that, Dan. Um, my wife's played an instrumental role in this. Um, you know, I'm the nerd on it. I'm the one that dives into it. I talk her ear off and I probably annoy her at times with it, but 
she's been instrumental in the fact that she's been open to it. She supported me and she's actually started diving in, you know, she's bought in. I we kind of, we would have these like monthly meetings where we sit down and talk about finances and goals and try and get on the same page about our vision. Cause you know, you move better as a single unit than you do two individuals. And uh, she's got buy-in now because she understands, hey, real estate can help buy us our freedom. She doesn't have to work when we have kids if we have enough passive income. Now she's helped me analyze deals. She's learning more about real estate and she is kind of helping to take over and help me out with social media stuff too because I'm trying to become more active on that as well. That's awesome because I'm terrible at it. I don't like it, (laughs) but, and she's really good at it. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot of communication, open, honest, communication between us and uh just making sure that we can get our goals aligned with each other and we we both see how real estate can help us i love that man that's that's uh very important to my wife and i too you talk about those monthly things those uh we kind of do it like every other week or so like that but that kind of they call i've heard some people call them money dates right where you sit down you go over your goals you go over what your finances are uh and for us it's just really easy to do it like on the 30th and like the 14th or something, you know what I mean? Like So, yeah. so right before we get paid, you know, we, we know exactly where everything's going, how much we're allocating to what, what we're saving towards and all those other things. So um, yeah, man, I, I think that's extremely, extremely important, not just for uh, your family's, you know, wealth building process, but just, you know, family sanity, right? You know, because if you are, constantly working on the weekends and you know you're working towards this end and your wife doesn't understand or she doesn't know what's going on or the why behind it right it can be very very hard uh to to keep that relationship stable right and especially once you add kids into the mix um as they're getting older and things and you're like ah you know i might need to do this i might need to do this and if your kids don't understand the why, or if you can't involve them into the same things, into the processes and, and things that you're doing uh, by, while building that wealth, uh, sometimes it's hard for them to really understand what's going on as well. So, um, yeah, man, I, I love that. I love it. Yeah, 100% agree with it. Absolutely, man. And, and the one thing I wanted to highlight there is that you mentioned, even during your time blocking, that you still dedicate one day for your family which as you said, and as you mentioned during this podcast, is your entire why, that is your purpose. Too many times, especially people in, in our field, in our you know, mindset, we think that, hey, we're working our nine to five and then we're doing our side hustle and that's it because we have to get to this arbitrary number of, for financial freedom. But we don't forget or we always forget why we're doing it in the first place. And if you're not enjoying your purpose, your why, your family, your charity, your church, whatever it is for you, what, during that process, you're going to run yourself into the ground. So I'd, I'd commend you for that. And I hope that people took note on that as well. 100%. I got to throw in there real quick. It's There's a little bit of time at the end of every day too, where that's just family time. It's not just that one day a week. She yep. gets more than that, you know? Yeah, I'm sure she wouldn't let you slide on that. Hell no. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. So um, so we already talked about what's next for you. You're, you're looking into uh, larger, trying to get into larger apartments just because you, you saw the saw the time that it took to do one, right? So, <laughs> so you're looking into to larger uh, deals now. Um, if there was if there was a few things, or if there was one thing that you could give to any service member out there that would uh, help them kind of do what you're doing or put them on the right path, what would that be? Man, I got I got to make it just a couple things. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, so one is, you know, time block. That's a huge one. Um, 
you know, like I said, figure out how much time you, you spend doing different things in the day, take inventory of it, then build a schedule around that, around your goals. You know, um, there's a saying I like a lot, and it's that uh, professionals stick to the schedule, amateurs let life get in the way. Um, so the second thing is, you know, if you're young, uh, don't matter if you're young or not, but if you're single, you know, you think you might one day be sharing life with somebody, um, be very selective about who you bring into your life. Make sure you're both on the same page about, or can at least get on the same page goals wise, you know, communicate well, because selecting a spouse, believe it or not, is definitely, it's one of the biggest financial decisions you'll ever make. Um, and if you're like, well, hey, I'm already married, you know, I'm, I'm stuck with this person, whatever. I, I love him, but I'm stuck with him. Divorce. Uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> dude, divorce is expensive, man. Right? Divorce is expensive. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you don't want to get divorced, just become a better communicator. Study how to become a better communicator, how to become a better listener, because it'll help you in your relationship and it'll also help you in your business. So that's what Yo, I got. That was, mic drop, dude. That was I the best. It. I think that was the best, uh, you know, advice that I'd, I've heard across this, uh, on our channel so far, as far as one thing. That is so key, dude. The partnership that you choose for life it, it it affects your life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's and so you know what that that needs to be a message out, especially because this is for for all people, but uh, especially the younger folks listening right now. I, I guarantee all of us probably were in the same boat at some point during our college years, during our younger years, where we tend to think that you know we move with the times of fashion. We're looking for the attractive person. We're going to the bar, whatever the case is. Think about that, guys. Think, and, I, and I tell this all the time, so judge me however you want. If, if you pick up your significant other, your life partner in the bar, that is what you can expect them to do later on in life because that's what you, where you found them, right? If you want to find somebody in a library or at school or at college, whatever, trying to bear it, whatever it is, then you know, that's what you can expect them to you know, pursue later on in life. So just be very conscious of that, man. I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot um at all and, and the studying to be a better communicator is huge just communicating most of my books on 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 the shelf are communicating dale carnegie books and stuff like that man nice. it's huge just understanding how people are receive your message is extremely important all right so another thing you mentioned man you said you hate social media and your wife's helping you out with that but after listening to this podcast Everybody wants to reach out to you. They want to see how you're doing it. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you? So I, I got to say this. If, if someone wants to talk real estate, talk anything, you know, I do love engaging with people on social media. I just hate trying to come up with good posts. So uh, my wife and I just started a new page that's kind of documenting our financial journey together on Instagram. It's at pretty five for a nine. It's number four. So pretty five, number four, a nine. Uh, hit us up on there. You can message her or me for questions, you know, to either of us. Uh, you can hit me up on uh, Blair.Nye.TheRealEstateGuy on Instagram. And uh, last but not least, Blair and I on Facebook. Just, uh, you know, if you want to talk about real estate, uh, especially if you're in the uh, secondary tertiary markets, uh, Charlotte or Raleigh, or just really anywhere, but those areas specifically, or even Manchester, New Hampshire, I got some buddies out there, but uh, talk real estate, finances, army, life, whatever hit me up. I'm, a, I'm an open book. Yeah, man. We'll definitely have all that stuff down below. Um, all your links down below. Make sure to reach out to Blair. Um, he's good people. And he's, he's, he's working his way to, uh, to his freedom goal, to his freedom number, right? So uh, through real estate. So 
it's great stuff, man. We really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I uh, really appreciate all the, all the knowledge you just dropped. Yeah, thanks Excellent. for the opportunity, guys. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. Um, and with that, uh, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glasby. Signing off.